Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you joined us. I'm Pastor Allen, and we are in a series called Unreligious. And if you've joined us the last couple of weeks, hopefully you understand what that means. Uh, if not, um, we'll try and explain it here this morning. The title, title of today's teaching is The Eight Commandments, and uh, I realize that the traditional is ten, and we'll explain that what that means in a minute also. I don't know about you, but one thing that really bugs me is religious people that think what they believe is the only right way to believe. Probably most of us had some of those folks knock on our doors, and if you let them in and you sat down and talked with them, I did this once way back when I was in college. Actually, my mom invited them back, and they came in the evening to talk to me, and we had a theological discussion. We got to one point where we disagreed on something, and, and these folks said to me, uh, well, that's a bad translation of the Greek. Of course, they didn't know that I was studying Greek. I was a college student studying Greek at the time. I said, okay, let's look it up. Let's check it out. And so we did. And we checked it out, and in the Greek, it didn't say what they thought it said. They didn't say what they believed. It said what I believed. But they didn't, they didn't want to listen. They didn't want to hear. And so I, I realized at that point, I was very frustrated with them because they weren't interested in knowing what I believed or opening themselves up to something they may uh, need to change about their beliefs, all they wanted to do was, they were convinced they were right and I was wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but that frustrated me. Um, and that's true of most, most religions. People are dogmatic. If you think you know the truth, then you're going to be dogmatic about it, right? Well, I want you to think about this a second. Those of you who are committed Jesus followers, like myself, we often come across that way to other people. And so part of this series is to help us understand that we shouldn't do that and to understand what we have in common. Last week we talked about Paul explaining how much the uh, Greek and Roman culture had in common with him. They were religious. They just had worshipped uh, a, a wrong God. So we need to keep that in mind when we are talking to people about Jesus. Now, on the other side, the other extreme is this. Many people think that ultimately all religions lead to the same place, to God, to heaven, whatever term you want to use, and just pick one and do the best you can, and when you die, everything will work out. Now, the problem with this is, is there any religion, is there any faith that actually believes that? No. Muslims don't think Christians are going to heaven. Christians don't think Muslims are going to heaven. Jews don't think Muslims are going to heaven. Muslims don't believe Jews are going to heaven, etc., etc., etc. Now, this group of people, or people that think this way, uh, can't understand why there's all this fuss between this religion and that religion, etc. And they just think it's kind of ridiculous that we would fuss and, and argue with each other kind of like with politics. I don't know if it's you, but I get frustrated with politicians that they just seem to, to argue all the time. So I want us to get a foundation of the concept that we all have in common. Uh, all religious people have in common, then all mankind has in common. And the first is the golden rule. Everybody knows the golden rule is right. Treat other people the way they, you want to be treated. And uh, if you research it, all major religions of the world have a form of the golden rule. Not only that, Plato has a golden rule. Socrates, these are Greek philosophers, has a version of the golden rule. 
And so this is a commonality among people, philosophers and religious people. Another thing we all have in common is this, all religions. Anyway, uh, I'm going to label them oughts and ought nots. So every religion has a set of rules. Things you should do, things you shouldn't do. Oughts and ought nots. Now C.S. Lewis, who most of you probably know, he's a uh, didn't grow up a Christian, became a Christian as an adult, wrote a lot of uh, uh, books, famous books, uh, the Narnia series. If you're, if you're not into religious books, is probably the most famous. But he wrote a book, he did some research, and uh, came up with what he called the Eight Commandments. He studied different religions of the world, including the American Indians, which is interesting to me because he was British, he lived in England, and studied their belief, and he came up with what he called Eight commandments that all these religions had in common. So I'm going to listen for you. You can look them up later if you want to. But here's what he came up with. He said all these religions believe in these eight oughts or ought nots. Don't harm others with words or deeds. Honor your parents. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> all religions. They're written by the parents, right? Uh, we got some kids here and uh, the parents are going to write that. Uh, be kind to siblings and the elderly. Don't have sex with another person's spouse. Uh, the next four of this, be honest in your dealings with others. Don't lie. Care for those who are weaker and put others first. Now, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you can pick some of these out. Don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't kill, don't steal, etc., etc. So, this is a commonality among all religions of the world. So, I just thought we would do a little uh, <clears throat> audience participation. There's not a lot of folks here, but even you at home. Let's kind of give ourselves a test, all right? So, how well, we do, how well did we do? Let's, for example, how well did we do honoring our parents? And we've got some teenagers here, and I remember being a teenager, and I think we all failed at that point, all right? And um, let's go back to the other list. Honest with your dealings. Have you ever not been completely honest with somebody when you sold something and didn't tell them about some little a car, for example, some little uh, noise or something it makes? Um, now, you're in church, or at least you're watching a worship service online. Is it okay to lie <laughs> about not lying? So we all, we've all lied. Uh, and so... The thing we all have in common is this. All religions have something in common besides this list. And you know what that is? I'm going to give you one word. Failure. No matter what religion it is, it has a set of oughts and ought nots, and none of us can keep the oughts, do we? Or the ought nots. Are we good at the list? Anybody? Are you good at keeping the list? None of us are. So bottom line is we're all failures at our religion if our religion consists in keeping the oughts and ought nots. I summarized it like this. You ought not, you did it anyway, you're at odds with God. And even if you're not uh, um, a religious person, even if you're not a, a, a believer in God, and I'm delighted that you're watching, let me put it this way. Have you even reached your own standards. So you can ignore God's standards. What is your standards for being a dad or a mom or being a husband or a wife? Or what is your standard about being a good 
child, teenager, whatever. I can guarantee you, none of you have kept your own standard. You can ignore God. I haven't been the father I thought I should be, or husband, or whatever it might be, citizen of the world. We've all failed, no matter what your standard might be. Uh, one thing that bugs me, and this is just me, I'm sure, but people that file bankruptcy. It's legal. To me, it's immoral. What you've told this credit card company when you use this credit card was, I'm going to pay you for paying this company for my, the products I've got. And somewhere along the line, you decide, well, I'm not going to do that. And so you file bankruptcy. Uh, you haven't kept your word. You haven't kept your standard. You, you agreed to pay this, and you didn't. Again, it's legal. I don't think it's moral. So here's the bottom line. There is guilt, and the guilt is real, because we've fallen short. Our own standards, much less God's standards. So we all have to deal with guilt. You can use other words like regret or remorse or whatever. Uh, and no matter how hard you try to get rid of the guilt, it doesn't go away. I'll give you an example of what we try and do. Well, nobody's perfect. I'm not a perfect teenager, so I'm not going to honor my parents all the time. But I honor them most of the time. Uh, there's no perfect spouses. I've only cheated on my wife once. or cheated on my husband once. Um, I think it's okay to lie once in a while. Uh, what do we call this? Little white lies. I don't lie. I don't have big lies. So, we try and dumb down the rules. <clears throat> now, let me ask you a simple fact. Does dumbing down the rules help with the guilt? It might get rid of, I guess, some if you don't pass the limit, artificial limit you set. But in reality, you still, unless you dumb them down completely, you still have guilt, regrets, things you wish you hadn't done or things you wish you had done. So here's the question for this morning. What do I do with my failure? What do I do with it? What do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my regrets? As I said, even if you don't believe in a God, you're at odds with yourself. You feel like a failure to yourself. Your self, uh, self uh, guidelines are set up for yourself. Now, simple question is, can you go back and change it? Can I go back to when I was 30 and a parent, raising a couple boys, and do a better job? No, no I can't. Can I go back and be a better husband? No, I can't. So what do you do with your failure? Well, the good news is this. 2,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Jesus comes along and says, okay, nobody in all of mankind has been able to fix their failures, deal with their failures, deal with their regret. I've come to fix it for you. Why would he do that? Well, because he loves us, all of us, all of mankind. He didn't want to have a fractured relationship with us. Since we can't fix it, he's going to fix it for us. It's like when my kids are small, they break something, they couldn't fix it, to bring it to dad, and hopefully dad can fix it. Sometimes they could, sometimes they couldn't. But God says, I'm going to come and fix it. And this is not a fix just for Christians. This is a fix for everyone. Jesus died, we say this often, he died for everyone. Whatever religious black background you might have, belief system you might have, or no belief system, all religions. Today I want to look at something 
that somebody wrote, a guy by the name of Paul, we've talked about him the last two weeks. He came along and his, he felt God wanted him or his responsibility to God was to tell non-Jewish people about this Jesus. Jesus was Jewish. And so he went around the Roman Empire talking to people. And last week we talked about he went to Athens and talked to the Greeks. Uh, today we're going to look at something he wrote to the church in Rome. Again, these are people, there's, no, there's no, not been a Christian tradition, there's not been any churches, there's, not been, there's no Bible, not anything. All they know is Greek and Roman theology and philosophy. And, and this Paul guy comes along, can you imagine how difficult it was, in trying to explain, well, this is Jesus guy that lived over here in Jerusalem and the Romans killed. Uh, he's your answer to your to your failure. And uh, we're going to pick this up in chapter 8 of Romans. But I'm going to give those of you who are not for me. In chapter 7 of Romans, Paul is talking about this dilemma. About the oughts and oughts nots. He said, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And I know what I shouldn't do, but I do it anyway. And he ends up, read it for yourself, it's fascinating. And he ends up by saying, I, it makes me miserable. I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. I, I wind up being miserable. Is there any solution? And then he says, thank God for Jesus. So then we pick it up in the next chapter. He didn't write in chapters, so he's just continually writing. And so Romans, what we call Romans chapter 8, this document that he wrote to the church in Rome, says this. Now, some translations say, therefore. So I'm miserable with my oughts and ought nots. Jesus comes along. Thank you, Jesus. So, now, or therefore, now. There is no condemnation. No means none, zero. Condemnation, guilt, <laughs> regret. For those who belong are in Christ Jesus. Those who become Jesus followers. And I know your pushback is like mine, but I feel guilty. <laughs> I feel like there is. So let me try and illustrate this way. I came across this statistic this week. There's approximately an you know, average of five people a year that are let free from death row. So they've been on death row probably for years, and for whatever reason, they're set free. They're expecting to be executed, and somebody comes in and says, okay, we've changed our mind. <laughs> You were guilty before, but now you're not guilty. There's no condemnation. There's no death sentence. You get to go free. All right. So that's the scenario that Paul is addressing here. <laughs> we all have this guilt, and Jesus comes along and says, you can go free if you accept my gift, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You're not going to be punished. You should be. You deserve to be, but you're not going to be punished. Condemnation means this. You've been tried and found guilty. So we've all been tried and found guilty. Uh, we've got a guilty conscience. We use that word, right? Guilty conscience. Conscience that condemns us. And the problem with religion, and religion, uh, Christianity can become a religion, the problem with religion is it is, condemns me. That's what it does. Sets up these rules that I can't keep, and so I feel guilty. That's what religion, all religion does. 
Now, I love this passage of Scripture, and it's kind of detailed and complicated. So as we read these, we're only going to do four verses. As we read these verses, I'm going to read the message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson took the Bible and he paraphrased it for himself. And he's got some beautiful uh, word pictures and imagery in the way he uh, paraphrases these verses. So verse 1, he, he, he paraphrases this way. When the arri- with the arrival of Jesus, excuse me, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma... is resolved. I can't fix it. I feel guilty. But it's been resolved. Those who enter into Christ, being here for us no longer, have to live under, notice this imagery, a continuous, low-lying, black cloud. Isn't that what guilt feels like? He said, you don't have to live under that anymore. Why not? Or how come? Well, verse 2. Because you belong to him, you become a Jesus follower. The power, some translations of the word law, so the power or the law of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power or law of sin that leads to death. So he says there's two laws. The law of sin that leads to death and the law of the spirit that sets you free or leads to life. And we all understand this law of sin. When you sin, something dies. Uh, when you sin, something dies. Uh, relationships. We're going to talk about relationships. Human relationships. Not dealing with God. Just on the human level. And I'm not picking people that have been divorced. Uh, I've got divorced people in my family. <laughs> but one time there was a relationship. Both parties sin. Maybe one more than the other. But both parties sinned against each other. And now the relationship is dead. It's died. It's over. Right? I think most of us understand that. Uh, Maybe you have a dead relationship with a sibling. Uh, Maybe you have a dead relationship with a parent. Or maybe a parent has a dead relationship with a child. Somebody sinned, both parties sinned, and something died. So what Paul is specifically addressing is, We've all sinned against God. We haven't kept those oughts and ought nots. And so our relationship with God has died. God doesn't want it to be ended. And so we're going to find out He is going to do what needs to be done to fix it. Now, this, the tension between these two laws, let me try to explain it this way. I think it's a good illustration I came across this week. We all believe in the law of gravity, Right? What goes up must come down. It's what keeps us from floating off into space. It's a good thing in that respect. If you jump off a building, not so good, right? You crash and burn. All right. So that's a law of gravity. We all believe in it. We all understand it. So you ever been on an airplane? How is that possible? Does it the law of gravity cease to exist for airplanes? No. The law of aerodynamics, and I'm not an engineer, some of my folks might understand this more than me, but the law of uh, aerodynamics supersedes the law of gravity, right? And so the airplane can fly. Gravity still exists, it's still a law, but so does the law of aerodynamics, which didn't, wasn't discovered, I guess, till a little over 100 years ago. 
We didn't have airplanes before that. So what Paul is saying, there is a law of sin that leads in death. It's real. It's not going to go away. But there is a law that supersedes it, that overrides it, and that's a law of the Spirit. And I give you a definition of life-giving Spirit. It's forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace. And we've all experienced this. If we've ever had a relationship, if not died, been severely injured, and then been restored, right? How did it get restored? The only way a damaged or dead relationship gets restored is through forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace. Let me explain that a little bit. You can't heal a relationship by doing good things, can you? So I've got this dead relationship with uh, a parent or with a child or with a sibling. So I start sending them cards, I start sending them gifts, I start, uh, you know, I go and wash their car, I don't know what you do. Uh, Do good deeds for them, send them money, you do all these things. Is that going to guarantee you that relationship is restored? You can do that from now until doomsday. The cows come home, as they say. Sometimes until their deathbed. Sometimes people wait until their deathbed to do what needs to be done. What has to be done to restore the relationship? They have to give permission. They chosen to say, yes, I choose to also want to re-establish this relationship. That's the only way it happens. Now, the wonderful thing about this broken relationship we have with God is this. He has already chosen to do this. And what we're, going to talk about, what we're talking about this morning is how he chose to do this. So from God's side, it's already been fixed. The only question is, for you and I, is will we choose to reestablish this relationship? In fact, God has promised that he'll establish this relationship. That's what grace is. He's done it all. He doesn't require anything other than we, us to give him permission. It's based on grace. And that relationship can be, for a better term, resurrected. A relationship with God. So the message says it this way. A new power is in operation. We know that power that causes sin and death. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That's pretty graphic, right? Pretty powerful imagery. So I believe Jesus would say something like this to us. Your religion has put you right where I want you to be. A failure, (laughs) basically, right? A failure. You haven't kept the rules. So consequently, you need a savior, somebody to fix it for you. So verse 3. Verse 3 is kind of long. He says this. The law of Moses, we say the Old Testament, was unable to save us, to fix it, to reestablish the relationship because of the weakness of our sinful nature. We can use another illustration. You're 
beating down the, down the highway. The speed limit is 60, you're going 80, pulled over by the policeman. All right? The law says, speed limit 60, you went 80. The law has no way of fixing it, does it? You could go to court. The judge would say, oh, how fast were you going? I was going 80. What was the speed limit? 60. Okay, why are you here? <laughs> the only way to get out of the speeding ticket is what? The judge say, oh, I'm feeling nice today. I'm going to let you off. Right? That's the only way. That's grace. That's mercy and grace. So the law doesn't save you. It only condemns you. How fast were you going? 80 miles an hour. Be limit 60. The law condemns you. You're guilty. In the story, right? So Paul goes on in what we call verse 3. So God did. Recently we talked about but God. So we could put but God in here. Or so God did what the law could not do. So what do you do? Make the laws easier? Eh, no, you only have to obey them once in a while or some of the time. Did you do that? Or did he say, just try harder? You know, I'll give you credit for trying. Is that what he did? Not neither one of those things would have fixed it. Would that fix guilt? No, just, it would take care of the past? No, no, that wouldn't do it. So how did God do it? Well, he, he goes on and tells us. He, uh, God, <laughs> no, back up. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. That's Jesus, of course. Came in a real body. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. How? Well, by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. Um, Why was sacrifice? Well, if, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's just the way the rules are set up. And so, Jesus had to suffer and die. Uh, again, the message paraphrase, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. Eh, it's not a big deal if you follow the rules or not. <laughs> In his son Jesus, he personally looked on the human condition, entered in the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set us right once and for all. That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> the law code, as weakened as it was, it always was, by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The nature of the law is it can never deal with our failure. This is an internal issue. This is an issue of the heart. That can't fix it. So verse 4. This is our last verse this morning. He, God, did this so the just, justice still had to be fulfilled, so the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied, not partially or almost all, but fully, 100% satisfied. For us. So, he did it for us. He fully satisfied. For us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So we say it was a gift. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't earn it. He didn't dumb it down. 
He didn't pass the judge justice thing. We'd be like he paid the speeding ticket. <laughs> All right? So you get to go free even though you don't deserve to go free. Uh, the message paraphrase. The law always ended up being, I love this imagery, being used as a band-aid. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take care of that one guilt, but I got, you know, a hundred other guilts. A band-aid on sin instead of deep healing of it, solving it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, shed blood, is accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts, like I said, keep trying harder, that's not going to work. Simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Simply accept the gift. So what do I do about me? What do I do about my guilt, shame, regret? What do I do about my past? So God says, my solution, I have a solution. My solution is my son, Jesus. That's the solution. It's the only solution. We just looked at laws, religion, the rules in any religion. Can't fix it. So we go back to that statement we started with. You ought not. You did it anyway. You're at odds with God. Can you earn God's favor? <laughs> if you could, if you say, okay, God says, well, if you keep the laws from now on, and maybe you're going to die in, a, in an hour, maybe you can keep it, I don't know. <laughs> but if you keep the odds from, uh, laws from now on, then you, you're, you and I are good. If that was the case, it would no longer be a gift, Right? If you give me a gift and say, okay, I've got to give you a little something. Here's a dollar. <laughs> no longer a free gift, is it? It's a partial gift. Maybe it's not a gift. Again, trying harder. That's what we all do, I know. It doesn't work, does it? So we cry out to God, hopefully like this. God, I need something better. I need to be forgiven. I can't undo what's already been done. And again, I'm just paraphrasing or putting words in God's mouth when I say this. When that's your request, the answer is yes. Could put the word always in there. <laughs> when that's your request, I need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? The request, that's your request. The answer is always yes. And not just for you and me, but for all mankind. Jesus died for all mankind. So if you accept that gift, take a deep breath, you can relax. What did Paul start off in verse 1? There is no zero condemnation guilt. Now, there's temporary guilt. If I mess up, the Holy Spirit of God convicts me and says, hey, you shouldn't have done that. You, 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 know, you were unkind to your wife. That happens, unfortunately. And so I say, I'm sorry. I tell, I tell her I'm sorry, and then I... Tell God I'm sorry, and the guilt's gone. So, just a side note here. If you ever forgive, ask forgiveness for a sin and you still feel guilty about it, that's false guilt. That's the evil one, Satan, the devil, whatever term you want to use, wanting to keep you under condemnation. Because you're not much good to God when you're feeling under that heavy cloud, right? No, 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 you're free. 
And that's the message we get to share with other people. So God has invited everyone that's ever lived and ever will live to accept this gift. It's not a religion. It's about a relationship that can only be restored by forgiveness and grace. So here's what I want you to think about this week. This is kind of fake news. I owe God something. Well, yeah, I owe him something for doing all this for me. No, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. If you give me a gift, you can't say, but you still owe me. You owe me that dollar. No, 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 no. If it's a gift, it's a gift. So the real news is this. I don't owe God anything. He's done it all. So as I pray for you, as we close this morning, I especially want to pray for any of you that are at that place. That you want to get rid of your guilt. So join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you did what we couldn't do. Never were able to do, never will be able to do. Uh, to deal with our failure. Deal with our, 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 our guilt. And so you sent your son Jesus to do what had to be done. If there was any other way, you would have done it, I'm sure. This is what had to be done. So Jesus came, suffered and died and rose from the dead. So that we can have a restored relationship with you. We can have forgiveness. That our guilt can be gone from your perspective. And so God, I pray for anybody who's listening or will be listening to this. There's that, at that place where they're under the heavy burden of guilt. That they'll come to a place to understand there's no other solution. Now, there is one. At least there's one. You may complain about, I don't want it to be that one. But that's the only one. And you provided it for us. So we pray that you would step across that line. It's simple. to say, thank you, God. I accept your gift. And your new life will begin. You'll be set free. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if that's a decision you made. But most of us here listening are Jesus followers, but we still often suffer under guilt, even after we confessed it. So God, help us to understand that there's no, let's put in big Letters, N-O, condemnation, or guilt, if you prefer that word, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for such huge, complete forgiveness. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.